Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Movies, where we talk about the Indian genre films you've never heard of, the ones you can't hear enough about, and the ones you never want to hear about again. My name is Nathaniel Mir, and I'm the movie editor at AIPT. Joining me on these ongoing adventures is the host who looks like California, but smells like Minnesota. Oh, dude, I don't, I don't like that one. <laughs> that could be a very positive thing. Uh, well, if you're telling me I smell like Prince, famous Minnesotan, or whatever they call them, then yes, I smell very purple. I'm Blake. Hello. <laughs> you know what it is, um, Minnesota. It must be, I'm thinking it's Fargo, um, but oh. I imagine Minnesota smells like snow and like congestion, like exhaust fumes from a car. I was going to say, well, that just makes me think of a bloody wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't smell like that. Uh, though that that, okay. be, right. that, uh, that might be an improvement. Catch me on the right end. Oh, also joining us on this episode, very, very, very special episode. Um, recently, the Chattanooga Film Festival played, and uh, they had a bunch of short films. There. They had a short film block. Uh, one of the ones that played was What Happened to the Others. Uh, filmmaker Douglas Wicker is here to speak about his film, and uh, he also has a little surprise for us. Hi, I'm Doug. Just get that out of the way. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't smell like Minnesota or any Midwestern state. What do you smell like, Doug? Um, right now, pork yeah. tacos. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I guess that's a little better than Minnesota. What happened to the others? Uh, Doug, I'll let you kind of start. Um, how would you describe what happened to the others? The film is a, a showcase concept. I mean, a lot of short films are like, this could be a feature, but it really is the idea behind it is to expand out on the world a little bit more. But the initial concept synopsis is that uh, it's about a, a grandfather who 50 years prior to the story's setting witnesses his friend taken into the woods by something. He is unsure of what it is, but the whole world has a small glimpse of some unholy kind of monstrosity that appeared and it's kind of like pockets of people saw them but of course it was so long ago that documentation wasn't quite like it is today couldn't just whip out your phone and be like hey you see this on snapchat or whatever flash forward 50 years he's carrying a lot of baggage about it through his entire life he's put that on his own son he tries putting it on his grandson he's constantly prepping for the inevitable return of the creatures to the point where his own child is just completely like pushing against the concept of it, the idea of it, resents his grandfather or his father for it, and has worked, you know, really tried to allow his grandson to have a loving relationship with his grandfather, but also kind of wary about allowing him to listen to some of the stuff that his grandfather is concerned about. But of course, as a horror genre film goes, it's no great story unless, of course, the creatures return. And so that's where we kind of pick up after the title sequences, the grandfather kind of leaving his uh, guard down for, with his family and the creatures returning and him having to go and uh, save the day. So that's more or less the kind of setup and uh, through line of it. So um, you mentioned that it's kind of the idea of, of, of a, a larger story. Um, would you like to turn this into a feature film? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, going into the project, uh, you know, I've been going to film festivals for quite a while. Uh, specifically genre film festivals, you know, I go to try to go to Fantastic Fest every year in Austin. Getting to know the programmers and stuff, like, it's really, you know, and just kind of like asking them how your job is, like, what do you look for? What's the kind of stuff that, you know, when you're programming really helps you with like setting the tone? And one of the things that was always kind of uh, preached about the blocks for short films is that 
it's so much harder. It was once said to me that if you're going to program a 30 minute short film, then that film has to be six times better than the other five movies you could have programmed in its timeline. It was definitely one of those things where when I went in to make the movie, I'm like, okay, I don't want this to overstay its welcome. I want to leave a lot of intrigue and a lot of mystery. I don't, which is something that would translate to the future version of it. There's some things that I still really don't want to get into like explaining or trying to like uh, suss out for the audience. Uh, one of the big challenges of this movie was how little can I show? I really wanted it to be more cinematic and not so reliant on dialogue. So with that was trying to uh, fill out seven minutes <laughs> and give people a taste of what a feature version of it could be without trying to overstuff it. Yeah, no, I think, I think you did a great job. And um, I think your, your story definitely leaves you wanting more for sure. And it, it made me think, you know, as I was watching it um, and it, and particularly it made me think when we were watching Pumpkinhead, which was, uh, you know, your recommendation, you must have like a just ton of lore attached to this story. And like, I love lore and horror. Like I like movies that are central, like HP Lovecraft. Like I love that like whole, like there's like this level of like underlying stuff that I'm here to learn about. And so, I mean, what, what were the things that inspired you to, to do this story? And like, I, there's obviously a level of lore there. I mean, where did, where did that come from? So it's a combination of like two different things that, so most of us, all deal with you know traumas and stresses that we've endured in our lives and for me I had a lot of like you know difficult things like losing you know parents and grandparents at a really young age and you know one of my grandfather he uh I lost him to Alzheimer's disease and so I spent seven years of my childhood watching this really strong man that I knew start to like lose his grasp on reality and start to lose his like you know just motor skills and the things we take for granted every day and it really shook me for, I mean, I still carry it today. I and, mean, you know, I've been, of course, all of us, yeah. we go through many more things, but so like dealing with, you know, that intergenerational parenting thing and the kind of trauma that like, you know, I experienced watching him go through that, you know, and trying not to carry that onto my own kids today, but that whole intergenerational drama trauma thing is like a huge aspect of what set up the story was like when I would talk to people who survived like Pearl Harbor or, uh, oh, yeah. You know, even now, like where it's really like coming coming around full circles, like I'm meeting kids today that weren't alive when 9-11 happened, like fully functioning adults, you know, right. doesn't well, make sense to me. very, very young adults, but, yeah. you know, like weren't alive when this major event that shaped all of our lives and our society happened. Right. And so it was been like a real fascination. Like sometimes I get hung up on these like abstract thoughts like that, where it's like these things that like mean something deeper than the actual act of. And in that was like this opportunity to tell a story about something that had happened to uh, a child and his kind of like great you know, grandparents who lived through the Great Depression and how that affected them all the way through their lives. Like people I knew at that age, no matter who they are, they're, you know, hold on to everything and are terrified of it happening again to them. And so like little things like that really became like a recurring motif for the grandfather character and was really something that I wanted to explore. But of course, I wanted to. I always find genre like in my love for horror because it's like very deep is those stories work their best they excel their best even films like robocop when you take and package it in something that isn't so literal when you you know you're able to backdoor ideas into these concepts that's like you literally just could not do you could put so much more in a genre film than you could if you did a straight lace drama or comedy like you can't have all these like ebb and flows and ups and downs and uh, peaks and valleys to your story in the same way because it's like, you know, a point A to point B situation with genre, you could be like, no, the monster means 30 things. 
so much with it. And it's an incredible tool to allow you to tell these stories. And so with that, you know, I had been obsessed with like uh, that rebirth and cyclical aspect of, you know, certain creatures in nature, like specifically cicadas and had got thinking about, you know, this like constant, you know, wonder if there were a creature. And then, and with that also is like, ever since I was a kid, I, something like uh, the alien, right. From the xenomorph. I always found him to be such an incredible, like as a little kid, even though I knew it was fiction, I believed he could exist. (laughs) It's believable, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was so much attention put into the biology of the creature feel like a fantasy thing anymore like even though it clearly was and like you know you watch the special features and you know 10 year old me is like hr geeker you know but <laughs> right, right. that i really had no right looking at at that age <laughs> right but in turn it like it made it scarier right like it just made it even creepier oh yeah knowing that the, like there's some like i've always been obsessed with the unknown like the things that we still haven't discovered so yeah that it was totally what made it creepy it's like this like thing can just exist like you know like there's, they, they set it up so perfectly that you felt a living, breathing creature and it gave it so much more reality and like grounded it so much more. So for me as a filmmaker, like that's what I appeal to. I like think of even modern films like District 9 and like what makes that work so well is like there's such a like attention to the life of like the ecosystem and the life force of the monsters, you know, that you really believe in them and you, you it's not just what's, you know, what scares you in the dark. No, absolutely. You do something very interesting with with your movie too. Um, but you mentioned it seven minutes, and a lot of times with shorts, they kind of go with a like the more bang for your buck type of idea. But you didn't uh, go with this gross out or anything like that. It's very atmospheric and very tense and creepy. Like, why did you decide to go that route? Uh, well, <laughs> because uh, young me, like when I started doing this. I was all about shock value and like how like over the top and can I get a reaction out of somebody? And then as I've gotten older, it's, it's changed so much where it's like, how long can I hold someone on the hook? You know, how long can I keep them in suspense? And like, how long can you hold on to this one note as opposed to, uh, you know, I guess more like a punk rock show, right? it's like like a splatter flick kind of thing like i would have made like a you know 25 gg allen show (laughs) exactly yeah yeah now now it's like part of it was like there's no real need for cussing and no blood in in a weird way like Shamlon kind of inspired some stuff here where it's like things like the village specifically but really just honestly taking i can't even explain how that film you know inspired things other than it's just like kind of like in that ballpark of like i wanted this film to be really suspense over everything when there is gore which there really isn't in this i want it to be earned and i really want it to be like you know that it's like a punctuation mark on something as opposed to like just being there because it's like hitting these tropes that we all expect that's that's i love that the uh one of the things that i i really liked about your your short was like you kind of get like these like brief glimpses of like you know the creature the the monster what have you and i liked how you kind of set it up and you you kind of get a shot there like at the end um that kind of gives you like a full kind of kind of shot of the whole thing and it like while it's familiar it's very like unnerving and um and i think that kind of goes with kind of like again like the feature we're talking about and i just i what what were your uh where did you like kind of decide upon your your creature design i mean i always think that's like a, a fascinating journey so for me like uh i grew up like in an area that's got a lot of native american you know folklore 
and uh, like just not even (laughs) uh not even like maybe five minutes from my childhood home there's like a whole lot of like petroglyphs and all these like incredible uh just native american like designs and the rocks and everything you know like uh thunderbirds and stuff like that uh also was a space with like a lot of civil war activity so it was very strange to be like a little kid dicking around in the woods and you come across a cannonball you know like kind of like so constantly was like something these things like this constant like eternal like is it historical kind of stuff was always just kind of like in my brain because you would see it like these like sure. remnants like this hundreds of years ago events you know but what had happened with the monster what had really uh led me down that road was like i said this kind of this fascination with like cicadic biological insects right but i also was like i want to take something and i want to create something primordial something that's like perhaps it existed before we even could document it and the idea of like maybe this is what the wendigo was thought to be or like that this is this goes even further back these are the gods of like for you know the mayans and that these things only come when the window and when the when the climate's just right for them and the you know because we're constantly fucking with our atmosphere and this definitely isn't a film that's really going to be taking on like a global warming statement or anything but it's definitely like something where it's like we've cluttered and created so much noise on the surface of the earth now that these things are getting where they're restless and they're starting to come up more often. So that's why it's going from centuries to, you know, decades now. That's yeah. cool. So it has kind of like a, it has like a folklore vibe to it. Um, I really appreciated it. I, I love folklore. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of the, of the movie. Um, we were talking about with what happened to others, how it's very suspenseful and it's not really for gore hounds. But uh, there are some there are some horror tropes in there. Like you have some jump scares in there that are really effective. Um, how important was it for you to make sure to have those tropes in there? Oh, super important because I feel like you know when you're playing when you're playing for a suspenseful scene or you're really wanting to give your audience like unexpected turns. I, you know, sometimes you know when I watch smaller independent films, you know, which I love, but there's a certain you know when you deal with one person in a room kind of movies, you end up having either we drag scenes out too long and don't pay them off. Not in a really good way, you know? There's very little comeuppance in a lot of movies these days where it's like, you don't feel like that final, like, who, you know, hurrah or oh shit moment, you know? <laughs> so I really wanted to balance, like, when to bring in, like, jump scares or any kind of moment that's, like, catches you off guard. I really looked at it as being, like, like almost like symphonic where it's like you have this long legato kind of melody and then you have like the staccato hit behind it right so it's like just this sense of like having like that suspense play and then bam something gets you when you're not expecting it that's such a good point that you bring up too because you're right you don't really get that like oomph anymore in movies you don't get it as much as you used to or you get the inverse of it where there's this incredible build and then just a really flat ending and it, it could just ruin a good movie Absolutely. And that's something the budget doesn't dictate at all. Like that's just timing in your screenwriting and timing in your editing, like knowing that I made this movie and I always try to make the things I work on with the intent of what the audience is going to experience. Like, I don't mind saying that I'm a populist filmmaker. Like I want to make movies people enjoy watching, even if they don't like it, even if they don't like, you know, there's, it's me putting my personal shit out there, but I also am like, standing behind all these other elements you know and that's where the truth is like that's where the truth in the characters is and that's where the truth in the biology of the monster is it's like these influences are coming from a real place so i'm not faking that 
but I'm not asking you to look at like myself and the analytical point of view. I'm like giving you the story. I know it's a story, you know, but I want you to be able to watch it and enjoy the story while you're on that ride. You know, like I want you to hook up and have a, like I have a hell of a ride on the way. And it's like, sometimes I watch modern films and it's like so much potential. And then like you said, like falls flat after a buildup or God forbid, like it's just loud noise for a jump scare after a loud noise, but like no suspense to build up to that. And it just feels like really jerky kind of like back and forth that, you know, I kind of miss, you know, like I know everybody has that reverence for like eighties movies and everything, but I do miss, you know, even for me, like I miss the suspense of like seventies films where it's like, you would feel like this massive push towards something. Like you would have 10 minutes of a film building towards one payoff. Yeah, absolutely. And you really don't see that anymore. No, absolutely. I I mean, that kind of brings me to like the, like the next question really is like, where do you see your your filmmaking like going right now i mean yeah i mean we talked about a lot of like 80s yeah and 70s stuff and so are you are you trying to going to incorporate that into like a more modern feel like doing more shorts like and like a web series or, or or like more feature stuff or where do you see like your your creativity sliding yeah i have well i have another short that i would like to work on sometimes i always feel like you know i get weary about talking about projects that aren't in the bucket yeah yet. of course Sure. Because anything could change. But, you know, I'm developing the feature length of this. And, you know, I've, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I would like to explore. Like I said, like the Alzheimer's factor is something I couldn't really get into with this. You know, like the grandfather character be, is, has become more or less a doomsday prepper, but he's like a dangerous version of that because he's done all this stuff in his youth, but now he's starting to forget the things that he's done. So it kind of leaves yeah. like a safe environment for his grandson. His son is, constantly stressed about leaving his child alone with his grandfather not knowing what they're going to do yet and putting them right on the line of poverty where if like they can't afford to do you know put him in a home or anything like that and really kind of go into the whole aspect of you know their relationship dynamic getting a lot deeper into it the son's like uh recovering drug issues that created like a huge conflict for between him and his grandfather as well and him trying to redeem himself but can't because his grandfather's slipping so finding that dynamics the idea for the future yeah i mean it, as far as that stuff goes and where my future goes for this stuff is like i would love to you know continue pursuing this story and developing more films and keep working on stuff i produced a short film in january called bruja that's in post right now and it's a great writer director that had come to me with uh some really killer material like he nine page script interrogation scene between a guy and a woman who just happens to know too much about him somehow and so the whole interrogation is her having all these like facts and details that only the fbi would have and it's like seven mixed with like <laughs> you remember the john goodman movie uh, fallen yeah, I love yeah. yeah we've covered it yeah we actually reviewed it yeah Super underrated movie that's another one we talked about i don't know what how it how it went how it hit when it came out but i remember being like damn i remember like this movie is just like a few beats shy of being just an absolute like dead ringer you know what i mean it's just like a knockout and but i haven't seen it in years so it might actually be and i was just too young to understand that i was it was it's good strong cast like really yeah, cool yeah. story and just such a killer concept you're like why you know it's so sometimes the best concepts are like the ones that are like don't cost anything to do a little bit of imagining like damn you're off to the races but yeah to answer your question i mean like yeah just gonna keep developing it hopefully hopefully can find investors and help build out the package for the film i don't 
feel like it would be, you know, like in the budget range, I don't know that it would be too expensive to do because like ideally I could probably shoot it in fairly small, you know, a handful of locations. But myself, I mean, I know a lot of people are really hip to try and do the one location, one room thing. And I understand that. But for myself, it's like I just like to paint with bigger brushes sometimes and have more, you know, I feel like the fatigue of being in the same space too long wears on your audience too much. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And um, that's that's it's hard to pull off. There's some good one location movies, but it's it's really hard to pull that off. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's a, and I think to a huge degree, a lot of like, say like Saw or something where the twists and turns that were really unexpected at one point are now expected all the time. And if the film doesn't have something up its sleeve every 15 minutes or so, like the crowd's going to kind of turn on it. Yeah. Really fast paced society nowadays. Um, Kind of to get away from your movie a little bit. So uh, what happened to others that just played at Chattanooga and that was completely virtual. You mentioned Fantastic Fest, which is, uh, going to be hybrid this year but um, that's something new because uh, pre-covid it was always in person um do you prefer this streaming world that we live in now or uh, i mean nothing beats the theater feel but um what do you how do you feel about this like these hybrid fests and things like that well you know i actually whenever whatever we uh cff book the film i you know my experience from the last few years is like i feel like short films get a better shape virtually than they do in theaters yeah, because yeah. they're they're put at a time where it's like you could choose to watch it when you feel like and so like a lot of good buzz for your film will really help get more people watching it which is a really great thing because i don't know how many times i've been in short film blocks at 11 a.m on a sunday <laughs> everybody's <laughs> hung over and like there's maybe 10 people in the crowd and you're like damn man like you know maybe that'll be me one day <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's definitely one of those where i'm like you know you're not competing against people who uh slept in or you know uh maybe it looks like a really badass documentary playing at that same time but yeah usually those early morning slots where they'll put shorts is usually uh you know it's kind of like a wasteland in a lot of ways so every film festival i've been to where it's like there's a lot of love put into it sometimes the really strong blacks will be counter programming to say something like a huge event film but for the virtual stuff, it's like I've watched far more shorts virtually through the many festivals that I've joined on virtual that uh, I don't know that I would have seen otherwise. Like, you know, unless, you know, I usually pick out one block, maybe two, depending on how many blocks there are and how long the festivals go for. But like this, it's like I don't even consciously think about it in terms of blocks anymore. It was just like, oh, everyone's talking about this film. Let's go check it out. You know, and I felt like that, that was a, I think it just gets more eyes on them like that. So for myself, with the, if you if you got a short, I think streaming is a really powerful tool. You could send your link right to your friends that want to watch it. You know, they pay the money for it. I was pretty, I was really, really pleased with how many people were like supporting the film. And like, even like people I work with would come up and say like, hey, you know, watched your movie last night. I loved it. You know, and you're like, that's so cool. Like, hey, well, you're in there. You have the badge for that block. Go watch this, 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 and this. And like out there supporting the other filmmakers that have great things in there. Yeah, I totally agree with you with uh Whenever uh, I, uh, times I've been to a fest, I I see a, sh a short or I read about, it, I'm like, oh, I want to see that, but then it just never really falls into my schedule. But with streaming, it's so much easier <laughs> to get in all the shorts and uh, like much like you said, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to watch as many shorts since they've started streaming these fests. Oh yeah, it's like not low effort in a bad way. It's low effort in the perfect way. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> So I click the button. That's all you got to do. You don't have to wake up at nine o'clock and be there. 
I wanted to ask you, Doug, so what happened to the others that were talking about Fest? And what's, what, where, where can people see this? Where can they hope to see it? Uh, well, I'm waiting to hear back from a couple of film festivals. And when I find out what's going on with those, I will be promoting it on my social media links, uh, which, you know, do you guys close with like any of that? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the show, I'll, I'll give you guys all that so that I'm not bugging you with it at the front end. And uh, if you do have a chance, like what happened to others, to the, what happened to the others? We've had so many long film titles on here and I get so confused. (laughs) What happened to the others? Uh, And I'm not just saying this because Doug's on here. Doug is the one who pointed me in the direction of it, but uh, it's definitely worth your time. Definitely check it out. Uh, Blake, you also said that you enjoyed it. I agree. Completely agree. It's worth uh, eight minutes of your time easily. So this week, Doug has picked the movie for us, a little bit of a classic, but Doug, I'll throw it to you. Um, What movie did you pick and why did you pick it? Well, I decided to cover Stan Winston's directorial debut, Pumpkinhead. And I picked it because I felt like it pairs well with the movie. My movie we're talking about, it was definitely an influence on it. But however, it was also a childhood staple in my home. And I was always fascinated with such a strong, amazing creature design that had such an incredible folklore. Like the concept of Pumpkinhead is basically amazing character actor, Lance Henriksen, like a director's actor, truthfully, like one of the most brilliant guys to ever perform. He plays a shop owner who has a son who gets hit by these douchebag creeps, you know, yuppie douchebag types, run over his son on their ATVs. And instead of helping, they bail. They go to a local cabin, leave the son dying and or dead honestly the kid's performance is super sketchy <laughs> but the thing it, uh, he ends up going, brings his son up there and he says what can we do i want revenge more or less i'm paraphrasing he gives a much better performance still to dialogue but great performance and he says can you you know she says well here's this pumpkin head and he's like yeah yeah pumpkin head i remember seeing that we which we as the audience see in the prologue and he goes can we you know fuck it bring this pumpkin head we're going to kill these assholes. <laughs> so, so what happens from there is pumpkin had a summon and he's off to kill all these children, these teenagers that have killed Lance Henriksen's son. Are we, do we do a full synopsis here? Yeah. I mean, all the stuff that you're mentioning is great because uh, you're touching, you're touching on a lot of good stuff. So. Okay. Okay. So she tells him though, that once pumpkin head has started, he cannot be stopped. And so pumpkin head, starts his uh, rolling train towards killing all these kids slasher movie style amazing atmosphere all throughout the film as he does so you get probably you know stan was never really known for his gore like i would never it's his monster designs were great but like his kills were not and this movie definitely reflects that where it's like some of the kills lack clarity so what happens is lance discovers that when he gets hurt pumpkin head gets hurt so of course he has to kill himself to save the last couple of kids from pumpkin head's wrath a valiant effort very valiant effort and just so before anybody freaks out about spoilers this movie is from 1988 so well past (laughs) the statute of limitations on spoilers um Um, stan winston i'm glad you brought him up because uh, we were just talking about uh aliens with the earlier movie i mean stan winston not so much known for his direction but uh his creature design is fantastic and i think that's maybe one of the reasons that this movie is for people who do know it they, they do remember it so fondly absolutely oh, yeah dude so like i have like i have a funny story about this 
And so I was like one of those uh, like little brothers who had to like, uh, like I lived in the same room as my older brother. And so he was like, I, I mean, we were similar in age, but he's older than I. He was like diehard Pumpkinhead when Pumpkinhead came out. And he, he, he had one of these like prodigy friends who was like this amazing artist when they were like 16 years old. And so my like my bedroom, I was like, you know, seven or eight. My bedroom was littered with like these highly detailed <laughs> drawings of Pumpkinhead. <laughs> my brother was just <laughs> such a huge fan of the, just the creature design. So in my head, growing up, Pumpkinhead was like the best horror movie ever just because, well, that's what all was all over my room. And it had obviously everything to do with the, the design of the whole thing. And it, it really does kind of, nowadays I look back and I'm like, well, this movie really kind of rests on its ability to just be really cool with its creature. Absolutely. I, I mean, if it weren't for Hendrickson's performance and that killer creature design, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's like, where would the movie set? Like, it, you know, it's, it's like that, you know, like both of those things, like you said, it's just such an amazingly well-crafted monster. Although yeah. one of my favorite little pieces, I remember being a kid and flipping over the VHS and on the back, it's like, I don't know what the... T- I've seen the image since then, but it's like, it's the creature, right? And so it's pumpkin head, but like they didn't crop his legs off. And this- <laughs> Have you seen this? <laughs> I'm picturing it in my head. Yeah. So he's like wearing sneakers. He doesn't even have the, like the extended leg like, things going on. It's just like sneakers. And- <laughs> That's amazing. Like, Who put this packaging together? I was like, I guess he wears Reeboks. I don't know. The, the pump? He's probably got a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was headed into the 90s. Things are very extreme back then. Um, and the creature design, uh, it, it holds up, too. As we were talking about earlier, I put a GIF of it up on Twitter, and immediately someone was like, what is that? That looks really cool. And it's just like, you know, a two-second clip of him. Just snarling, yeah. And it's just like such a cool fucking shot. You know, like, they, they, you know, like you said, Stan just really understood what made a good monster. Like, famously, like, well, it was Jim's, Jim James Cameron that suggested the mandibles for the Predator, but that project, Predator, really changed when Sam Winston came onto it, and he really created that iconic monster we know today. Oh, yeah. Well, and it looks exactly like a monster that was birthed, like, horrifically out of a pumpkin patch. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> what, else, what else would it look like? I'm still not certain if he was, like, a boy at one time or if he's always this thing look at it. <laughs> just watched it again it's like i've watched it so many times over the year and i'm like was he ever was he like some kind of like weird like kid like you know like hatchet kind of story or something like i don't know yeah. well it's, and like I'll, I'll say this like the, like as the movie goes on and like a, a, i mean we're just kind of hopping around whatever we're having fun but like as the movie gets like towards the climax the cool thing is is the Lance Hendrickson is taking on characteristics of Pumpkinhead, and yeah. Pumpkinhead is now looking much more like Lance Hendrickson than ever. Uh, I thought was kind of cool. I, I always wonder what would happen if he hadn't stopped him. Like, do you think that they yeah. would be changed? Because they like, would just totally swap. That'd be, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that'd be super cool. Like Pumpkinhead, just like fuck it, I'm Lance Hendrickson now, and would <laughs> <laughs> have had a weird, uh, twisted pair of the keys to the board. <laughs> Do you think they were trying for, uh, so Lance Henriksen, he's like a, a rugged uh, widower, lives by himself, starts the movie topless. Uh, do you think they were going for him to be a sex symbol? Because I've never thought of Lance Henriksen. I've never, like my mom loves the, the, the doc from um, Love Boat and I, I just don't see it. 
but I've never heard any mom talk about Lance Henriksen before. You know, that's the thing that's like so strange to me because like I read, you know, reading back and it's like, it's so weird because it's like not even from Lance Henriksen's mouth have I heard this, like in any kind of interviews or any, you know, thing like that. But going back further than that, I would always read these articles like James Cameron or Stan Winston or basically any director he worked with just really wanted to push to make him an A-lister. Like they wanted it so bad. They were like, this man's the greatest talent to ever grace the screen. And I can't argue is definitely, honestly, like one of the pound for pound most consistent performers out there. However, like I just, you know, that A-list, like you said, sexy man, like leading man thing, like never clicked for me. And I don't know, but you're also talking about, you know, in the seventies, Burt Reynolds was a sex icon. And like, that's not the first person I would think of as being sexy. It's like this woolly hair covered man with a mustache that's not ripped. But <laughs> Lance's credit, he's ripped his shit in this movie. Like he bends over, he bends over that water bucket and I'm like, Damn, Lance. Been hit the boat. He's like a proto Northman. (laughs) (laughs) He's wiry. (laughs) Very much so. There's a cool trope in this movie that, and you mentioned it about the yuppies. Um, In horror, there's uh, one of my favorite tropes is like the city versus the country uh, versus the country. That's a big one here. But I like what they do with this one because, like, in uh, I don't know, like, like the hills have eyes or deliverance isn't a horror movie, but that's very much city country thing. But they don't make the country people look, usually they make them look really dumb and then the city's supposed to be sophisticated, but they don't have enough street smarts is the thing there. Here, like they have that, um, they have that dynamic going, but it's not that the country folk aren't dumb or inbred or, or they're not educated. They're just, they just live out in the country and they believe in their folklores. And um, I like the way that it's done in this movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, you never feel like the yuppies are smarter than the main characters. In fact, it feels opposite that they're just more self-indulgent and reckless yeah. yeah well there's like three levels of people in this movie there's like city folk country folk and then you're real hillbilly yeah, you're like, <laughs> like you got the uh you got the of mice and men <laughs> and then maybe there's a step more of like country witch that's <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's weird that like there's not a scene where like you know because like George Buck Flowers is in this and I always love when he fucking I love him and anything he shows up yeah, on. great character actor great yeah. there's not a moment that anyone's like hey uh Harley don't go talk to that witch like no one's like, no one's like, <laughs> like you know like there's no scene where someone tries to talk him down from doing it <laughs> like he has to have that like that moment that push instead it's like you know oh I guess I went to go talk to that old witch you know gonna bring back fucking you know, <laughs> I was like, oh hell, you wouldn't talk to her? Well, don't be coming around here no more. <laughs> you're like, you've made your bed, you're sleeping in it. Like, like, Get away from I love the atmosphere in this movie because it, it is creepy. It starts off really creepy. And then when it switches, when it's uh Lance with his son, it's uh it's you know sunnier, but there's still like this kind of sense of something's not right, and then it just gets straight up creepy. Yeah. I loved it, I loved it all. I love how there's like 10 pounds of dirt in that like grocery store that they're in. It's just like every, every like shaft of light, it's just like got dirt and just seeping through it. It also makes me laugh that like, I don't know if the movie's supposed to be in like the Appalachian Mountains or something, but it's definitely Southern California. I'm like, there's no mistaking that. You know, you know what a thing that I really love about this movie, and like that goes to say for like, there's some other like genre films of the era that I think are like they're wonderful, like to tie in with other universes. Like, 
I could totally see Pumpkinhead like in like the Evil Dead universe, or you know what I mean. Like, the, like this is a very like horror user friendly like universe, <laughs> and I think it would go, like be great for like some cross play. Oh, absolutely. Let's, let's just ignore all of those sequels that happened. Yeah, totally. I think most people have. <laughs> Here that I watched Blood Wings a lot as a kid because I think it has a few more like gnarly kills on it, but the movie's just an absolute garbage dumpster fire. Have <laughs> to show like a good monster can't save a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, Pumpkinhead's interesting because I feel like everybody's heard of it. But very few people have actually watched it. Ooh, that's yeah. so true. Which we were chatting about earlier. It's like it's amazing to me how many people you know that don't know the movie. It seems like you know those like like you said the lake like you have this like shrine to pump <laughs> your childhood yeah, in my bedroom. It seems like people <laughs> of a certain age at least have some kind of awareness of him. Like it used to be like on Sci-Fi Channel like every weekend through like the late nineties and two thousands. You know, so it seemed yeah. like like somebody you know most people would know it but i guess not i mean that was just the era of like iconic monsters and like i just equate that stuff with like heavy metal so it's like there's like was it eddie from like uh is iron it maiden. uh iron maiden and then there's big rattlehead <laughs> from megadeth like there's, <laughs> there's there's all that and like Pumpkinhead, like that's what i mean like it kind of exists all in that same headspace to me like that's all the same shit <laughs> There needs to be some like metal band that just like writes Stan Winston Studios and like hey, <laughs> totally concept art album. Dude, I'm gonna start that metal band. <laughs> <laughs> and have just have Pumpkinhead on every cover doing just like posing really gnarly, <laughs> like with like the Union Jack. <laughs> That's of course yeah. my favorite shot of the whole film would have to be that first cover, which is when he's walking through the old burned down church. That whole sequence, oh, yeah. like that perfect gothic horror like you know you're like oh this unholy thing and this holy building and you know it's such a great moment it's lit and shot so perfectly yeah so i actually thought and i'm glad you brought that up like i thought there were certain moments and it wasn't because it wasn't through the whole movie at all but but there are certain moments where like they really kick up the lighting toward they lots of reds you know lots of bright red lighting and stuff especially in the in the witchy stuff and i i thought it made it like really comic book style and like very like ec comics and i and i just i love that i love that about this a lot movie. of the, like the lightning flashes and stuff behind me yes silhouettes yeah. that stuff looks so cool like that's such a great moment although that like some of the presentations like so wacky to me like the bit whenever they're inside the cabin and uh it's like the it's right after Pumpkinhead before he grabs the girl by the head or whatever on the front porch which is a great kill like i was you know the fingers <laughs> turning her head toward the camera yeah i I love that bit but before that though there's like the shots like almost out of a comedy where it's like the two of them in the kitchen and they like walk out of the frame and like pumpkin head just chilling in the window behind the box oh that's <laughs> hilarious yeah he just oh. like walks behind him next time you watch the movie it's just like the way it's presented it's just really funny where it's like i don't know if that was supposed to be scary it just looks like he's just hanging out back there <laughs> i like how they did in, uh what they did in this movie where um it's it was kind of like what Joe Bob says, like a real good horror movie. Um, anybody can die at any time. And the very first kill is the guy you thought would be the hero, but yeah, he's, yeah. he's gone. And then his girlfriend's the next one to go. I, I, I just loved how it kept me. I mean, uh, I'm sure when I first saw it, it really surprised me. But uh, this time watching it, I was like kind of in awe of how they were kind of brave enough to do that. 
oh yeah like there's they kill the likable people first and like work their way down so i mean you do get the comeuppance but you also don't have that's the other thing i thought was really strange is like the um like how quick the kid like the murderer guy how quick he is to like turn to murdering his friends when they get to the cabin like don't you fucking tell anyone you know, it's like, and he's like he's like suggests that he'd kill them too but it's like that guy like makes it to the end but there's like the guy you should be rooting for isn't there to do the typical you know cliche of like you know no man don't do it like you you did this it's your fault like you need to yeah. own up to it you know you You're don't have than this i'm your no. brother i still love you yeah exactly like you don't have any of that shit like that dude dies like moment one so then from there it's like everyone's shitting their pants and like running for their lives they forgive him really quickly too like he, he's had him at gunpoint uh locked in a closet or in a pantry at yeah, one yeah, end. Yeah. Oh, doug i think that's the next title of your next movie it's got to be shit your pants and run for your life i used to use a phrase shit your pants more <laughs> <laughs> so um pumpkin head um it's a classic it's from 1988 if you haven't seen it definitely check it check it out um every saturday you can find us here we're a part of the morbidly beautiful podcasting network where they have a bunch of horror themed podcasts including ourselves uh we have an open review policy or if you just want to drop us a line and ask us about horror movies you've heard of but you know for a fact that you've never seen let us know and we'll steer you in the right direction (laughs) that is right you can find us over on the social medias over at on Twitter and Instagram, Adventures in Movies. You can find Nathaniel, we call him Patrick on the show. Uh, we find him at Adventures in Nathan. You can find Danny, who should have been here today. Sorry, Doug. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's on uh, Instagram at default score player. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at 4 Horror. And Doug, please let us know where we can find you, brother. You can find me at Douglas Wicker on basically every platform. <laughs> perfect and uh do you have like a is there a special link we should find your thing on youtube or anything like that um i don't really post a, i don't usually put a whole lot on youtube but yeah it's it's at douglas wicker on youtube as well so okay you know, i have a documentary i made a couple of years ago about music on there recently like local music scenes um the real short and skinny pitch for that is basically uh you know early 2000s everyone you knew was in a punk band and you probably went to go see <laughs> And (laughs) killed that, I believe. And that's what we investigate in that documentary. But after the rounds uh, by on socials, I'll be able to post what festivals and screenings for what happened to the others is uh, where that's going to be at, as well as any like development or news related to it. Perfect, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. And next week uh, we have a little something from the Fantasia Film Festival. So please tune in for that. And uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify, wherever they have the best podcasts in the world. You find us there. Or you can just go to Morbidly Beautiful. Um, wherever you listen to us, make sure to give us a rating or just tell a friend to listen. Doug, thank you again for joining us on, on a rather short notice, too. Just about a week or so when you jumped on. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. It's been a blast. Worked out talking with you guys tonight. Cool. And that's our cue. We will talk to you next week. Adios!